0: According to the National Center for Drug Abuse, over 165 million Americans ages 12 and up are currently abusing drugs or alcohol. Of those 165 million Americans, there is a mom, dad, sister, brother, wife, husband, son, daughter, or grandparent praying and pleading that they would stop. Addiction is a subject most people don't like to talk about and is kept behind closed doors. But the Finding Hope podcast will bring light to the subject and give families that are living in shame, guilt, hopelessness, fear, worry, and anger tools and education to find strength, peace, happiness, joy, and hope. Hello, I'm Amy LaRue, Finding Hope Coordinator for Hope is Alive Ministries and your host for this Finding Hope podcast. At Hope is Alive, our mission is to radically change the lives of drug addicts, alcoholics, and those who love them. We do this through our intentional next level sober living homes and faith-based support groups for the loved ones of addicts called Finding Hope. Thank you for joining us today. On this episode, we will be digging deeper into the subject of enabling. We talked about it briefly on episode three, but today we will discuss what enabling is, why we enable, and how to stop enabling. But I first want to introduce my guest I have on this episode, Ms. Karen Myers. Welcome, Karen. I first met Karen when my oldest child was a baby, and I dropped her off in the church nursery for the first time 14 years ago. Karen then got to rock and love on all three of my kids in the nursery. I didn't know her story, and she didn't know mine, but God knew at that time our paths would cross again when addiction found its way in both our lives. Welcome, Karen, and will you share a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Amy, Uh, it's a pleasure to be here.
1: Um, I grew up in Western Oklahoma and went to medical school at OU Medical School. And I did a residency in um, OBGYN in Tulsa and then uh, moved to Oklahoma City. Um, I practiced medicine primarily at uh, Mercy Hospital uh, for 30 years and I retired in 2009 uh, but I've been involved in the nursery at Quail Springs Baptist Church for about 25 years now, I guess.
0: Very good. Um, and so what initially brought you to Finding Hope?
1: Well, we have a son uh, who was an active alcoholism uh, for a number of years. And after uh, we became acquainted with Hope is Alive, uh, we began trying to figure out how we could help him. And uh, and shortly after that, uh, Lance began the Finding Hope class. And that's where I met you, Amy. Um, Absolutely. In finding hope.
0: And I remember that first meeting, too. You couldn't say a word. And we both were just like, what are we doing here? You know, we were in that... In the midst of addiction, we both were in the middle of that storm with our loved ones. And so um, it did. It brought us both. I remember seeing us like, oh, she's the lady that rocks my babies. Why is she here? You know, mm-hmm. and just realizing our church is full of people that love someone addicted to drugs or alcohol. And, you know, we both started going We're still both actively involved and you have now become one of our board members and leaders of our group. And I have just watched you and the progress that you have made in your own journey of recovery is remarkable. But we're not gonna go into your whole story today. We're gonna mostly focus on enabling. And you and I know people walk into our meetings. I get lots of phone calls every week. And the biggest thing I hear all the time is I know I am enabling but and there's that but and then they almost come up with excuses why they're enabling and sometimes I truly believe that the word enabling just gets thrown out there as well like they know this is a buzzword and they're recovering with addicts and if all of that Um, and sometimes I don't think they actually understand what enabling is or they don't want to stop enabling because it gives them some sort of comfort. Um, they believe they're somehow keeping their, by enabling, keeping their loved one alive. But you know, I want people on here to know, like, we don't have that power. We do not have that power to keep our loved ones alive. And so, um, I was just kind of curious, Karen, what was your understanding about enabling before you came to finding hope?
1: I really don't think I understood enabling until I began coming to Finding Hope and we actually had a full class on enabling at the pretty early on. Mm-hmm. And that's when I began to understand what it was and what how what it meant and how it would affect our loved ones.
0: Absolutely. And so I invited you here because I mean I hear enabling stories all the time, but your story on how you enabled your son is just so powerful. And I would love for you to share with the listeners today, how you enabled your son. Okay, thank you. Um, I I have often said
1: lately that uh, we won the gold medal for enabling <laughs> when we begin to look at, at how our, how things transpired, but um, our son became active in his addiction in college, and uh, of course, I didn't understand that at the time, neither did he, how serious this was going to end up being. Uh, but he uh, was asked to leave college, and he came home. And uh, from that time on, he he would go to work, but I knew he was drinking with some friends on weekend sometimes, mm-hmm. and, and maybe it was more than that, but uh, at the time, he was living in our house, and um, then at some point, uh, we decided that he needed to get his own place, and so he did, and um, over a period of time, he um, ended up getting married, and uh, he moved to Arizona with his uh, wife, and was out there for about uh 10 or 15 years i guess and and during that time he would call and say my cars broke down Mm -hmm. and i would send him money or he'd call and say "Uh, i had to go to the emergency room last night can you send me money for the bill and um, since he was a long distance away i really wasn't aware of how serious this had become um when he began to talk about the fact that he was about to lose his job and that he was uh, being forced to go into a treatment program, then it, I became much more aware of the fact that he really had a problem. Mm-hmm. And um, over the course of this time, uh, from time to time, he'd still call and say, uh, my car's broke down. Um he, he actually, at one point, his car engine had failed, and so he had taken it to a mechanic, and he needed $900 to get it fixed. I sent him $900 about a month later. Uh, Mom, I need $1,500 to get the car fixed. I said, I just sent you $900. Well, yeah, I was much more involved than what mm-hmm. he thought. And, and, of course, again, the, the distance just kept me from really checking and seeing exactly what was going on. Um, at, as time progressed, uh, he lost his job. Uh, he lost his house because he wasn't meeting his bills. And, a, a friend of his, um, called me one night and said, I, I can't wake him up. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you're, you're going to have to call the hospital. I, I mean, I'm 1500 miles away from you. I can't do anything about that. Uh, so he, um, he was taken to the hospital at that time he he decided that um he knew he had a problem and that he would he would make an effort to to try to do better he didn't ever promise to go into treatment or anything but he was going to do better um after he lost his house and he lost his job and uh, of course long before that he had uh, his wife had left um he decided that it was time to move back to Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, uh, Jim and I were married by that time, and uh, we discussed how that was going to look for us, uh, for him to move back, knowing that he has this problem with alcohol. And right away, we decided we wouldn't let him move in with us. at, At this time, he's 35 years old. You know, he's old enough to be out on his own and taking care of himself. So we told him that. And when he got to town, uh, his apartment wasn't ready. uh, So we paid for his extended um, stay place.
0: So what Uh, I keep hearing, Karen, I'm going to stop you right there, is I kept paying. I kept paying, I kept giving my hard earned money that I want to use for retirement to be able to travel and be able to do all these things because you've worked hard and, but you keep giving, giving the money, giving the money. Why did you keep giving the money?
1: Well, I think I felt like if I helped him get his car fixed or I helped him, pay his rent or I helped buy his groceries that that would give him a leg up so to speak and maybe mm-hmm. it would turn his life around I kept thinking that I was helping all, okay. all during that time um, the the worst part which is uh, when my husband tells us it's it's funny but <laughs> but it is, it is such a powerful enabling situation we after he got here he had several different jobs mm-hmm. and he uh, he, first of all, had a, a job with Aflac, mm-hmm. and um, so he said that um, he'd like for us to meet his supervisor, and lo and behold, they were going to sell us insurance is really mm-hmm. what this was all
0: about. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> well, we just thought, well, okay, we can, we can buy a policy. Mm-hmm. and as it turns out um, i bought a cancer policy and my husband bought an accident pilot policy he was still traveling for his mm-hmm. job so we thought that might be a, a good one for him but the cancer policy paid off for us so god kind of took care of that for us yeah. um, but he lost that job right away and mm-hmm. his next job was a roofing job uh, he wasn't doing the roofing but he was selling the roofs and we felt like uh, we Probably needed a roof. The guy crawls up on top of the roof and says, oh yeah, you need a roof. Well, of course, part of it was paid for by insurance, but not all of it. So we paid for a roof. Mm -hmm. And he had a a really good bonus from that because he sold it to us. And then the last one, which is really funny, Um, he started working for a window company, Renewal by Anderson. (laughs) And um, lo and behold, He came to to us one night and uh, gave us a sales presentation and it was right toward the end of the month. Well, Mm -hmm. if he got this sale, it would just push him up over this great commission and -hmm. it would just be great for him. So we needed windows. There was no doubt about that, but but they weren't leaking or anything. (laughs) So anyway, we bought new windows for our house. Um, And just within a probably a month he had lost that job Mm -hmm. and he was making such good money. But those are all the ways that we just continue to enable.
0: Wow. And I like, you know, you and I can sit here and laugh about it, but some of our listeners are probably like, I'm there too. I'm right there right now. And, you know, in the midst of it, I know you weren't laughing. And part of it is we can look back we don't know what we don't know and that's where you were you're like Mm -hmm. i want to support my son i don't want him on the streets i don't i want to make sure he's taken care of and so i love what you said helping and we talked about this briefly on another episode the difference between enabling and helping and i'm just going to read this definition to everybody one more time because i think it is so powerful it says Remember that enabling is hindering a growth in a person when we do not allow them to take responsibility for their own behaviors and consequences. But helping is doing for others what they truly, 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 truly cannot do for themselves. I think sometimes people are like, well, they can't do that. Well, they can't do it because they're in their addiction. But if they weren't in their addiction, they can do it. And so that's where we have to remember the difference between enabling is hindering a growth in a person and not allowing them to take their own responsibility for their behaviors and consequences. And so, you know, where did your where did you shift from knowing that your helping wasn't helping that it was actually enabling?
1: Well, it wasn't until we came to finding hope uh, that we began to understand that what we were doing wasn't helping the situation it wasn't helping him get healthy again and so i think that's where we finally realized that we we weren't helping and as a matter of fact we were enabling and furthering his addiction
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I like what you said, furthering his addiction. Enabling, we think we are helping them. And you said it, like we're giving him a leg up, right? We're helping them. Maybe if we do this, they'll stop. But actually, you said it perfect just now, Karen, we're hindering it. And I love that. Um, one definition of enabling is doing for others what they can and need to do for themselves. But I like what you're saying, hindering. We're hindering their growth. We're hindering all of that. We're not allowing them in a sense, you know. Um, and so we kind of already talked about why you enabled your son. And so here are some other things that I, some research I've done and fr- sitting in the rooms of finding hope. Why people enable? Because we want to keep the peace. There's so much chaos going on when we love someone in addiction that we think if we just do it, I'll just keep it peaceful for a moment and it might might keep it peaceful until they need something else and we have to go back and rescue them again. We enable because we're scared. We're scared of what this disease will do and I talk to people all the time and Karen you and I were talking right before we started recording this about a situation with a mom and I just had to get real with her and but we're scared so we enable because we want to protect and like I said earlier ultimately we're not God. And we have to remember that we can't do God's job for Him. And we need to give our loved ones to God so that God can protect and um, protect our loved ones. We also enable, because we want to we're fixers. And you're mom, I'm a mom. I know us I know a lot of times it's the moms. We want to fix. You're also a doctor. And so I'm sure that played a role like, okay, I take care of my patients all day long, the babies, the moms. I am a fixer, I need to fix my son, right? This is what I'm called to do. Um, We wanna help our loved ones. We love them and we think we need it. We just wanna help them. And this kind of goes back to what you were saying, Karen. We We believe it will bring them back to a place of sobriety if we do this. So if we help, we enable, it's gonna bring them back to that place of sobriety and then they might wanna seek the recovery for life. But in reality, It doesn't work, does it, Karen? It doesn't. No. And so, some of the effects that enabling has, it shields people from experiencing the full impact of their behavior. And so, I just want to give an example, a story. I just kind of, these are just some of the stories I hear at Finding Hope and people I talk to. So, one act of enabling is paying for gas. And so, if you're out there, first of all, listening, and you might think, oh, this this is hurting. They're pointing fingers right at me. We've all been there, okay? This is just to give you some resources and for you to find recovery and to find that p- true peace that you need in this. And so um, that's what we're here today to do. So maybe you are paying for gas, but as Karen even mentioned with her son's car, She gave $900, and then the next month he needed more. And so really, where is that money going for? Maybe it will go for a little bit of gas, but what else is at the gas station? I walk by it every time. I go in the gas station to get a snack. There's a whole area of beer and vodka and all the alcohol there. And so more than likely, if they're in their active addiction, they're gonna be using the money to feed their addiction. Enablers believe their actions are helping the addict and are unaware that they're actually being manipulative. And all I could hear from your stories is salesmen, salesman, salesmen, and I believe our loved ones are great salesmen, right? They, they can sell us anything, make us believe what they need, and so absolutely. And we also think that when we're paying for their gas, I've heard this all the time. Well, if I pay for their gas, then they can go to work and then they can pay for their food or their shelter or their apartment. But honestly, what I tell people, and if you're out there listening, I want you to hear me on this one. If they can get their drug of choice, they can pay for their gas, they can pay for their food. They, If they are able to get the resources to get their drug or choice, they don't need any money from you. They, they're they just making that choice. And um, another way that enabling affects us is when we are manipulative, we start to cover up things and it can then become very dis- discouraging, challenging us to even want to engage with them and wanna be with them. Um, and we just get more resentful through that. And that's what I said, you know, we become resentful. Okay, we're gonna pay for their gas. Oh, but then they ask us five days later for more gas money. Well, we become resentful and but we still just keep giving and giving and giving because we don't know how to stop it. Because honestly, even though we become resentful, we become comfortable in that. Does that make sense? It's a weird sense that in that sense, but so how have you been affected by when you have been enabling your son?
1: Well, uh, several ways. Um, One was just the frustration of him never making any progress and getting sober. Mm.
0: Um,
1: And then the, just the recurrent questioning and and asking for, not only uh, money, but I mean, his house needed to be cleaned, mm. his Ooh. rent needed to be paid. He didn't have food. He didn't take care of his dog. I mean, we ended up with the dog. Uh, there, It was just so many frustrations and sadness uh, surrounding the whole thing. Uh, but ultimately, I became sick. I mean, mm. I was dealing with some serious health issues during that time. Yeah. Um, one was probably almost an ulcer Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately i ended up having breast cancer and it Mm -hmm. was all during this time of this very frustration and and stress uh that was just ongoing constantly
0: yeah absolutely and um it does it drives us to a place of sickness illness Mm -hmm. and i say we become sicker than our addicts a lot of the Mm -hmm. time you know we We see them and we think, oh, they're so sick, but we forget to look in the mirror and see how sick we really are. And um, if you're out there listening, that might be you. And we want to encourage you. I'm sitting here today with Karen who couldn't even speak at the first Finding Hope meetings with tears. And she comes in with a smile now every week. And um, even when things are maybe not the greatest, she still has found that hope. And so um, I just want to... I, have some different types of enabling I have seen. And so I'm just going to throw this out here because I don't, I don't want to walk, I want you to, to be real with you today. And so enabling behaviors includes giving money when asked, even if you say no, and then they put, keep pushing you and you finally just have to have that boundary and say no, 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 no. And so we haven't finished your story. So we're going to get back to how your story ends. Um, but some other enabling behaviors include buying for a car, making the car payments. Someone, one of my leaders posted an enabling, she just kept buying cars after car after car and didn't realize what was happening, why her daughter was getting in all these wrecks. Um, paying for their phone, I hear that. Well, if they don't have a phone, how can I get a hold of them? Well, are they getting a hold of you or are they only getting a hold of you when they need something? And so we have to remember that paying for their phone is a part of the enabling. Paying for a place to live or providing that place to live. And I know the scariest thing, and I hear this all the time, is I can't imagine my baby sleeping on the streets. I can't imagine this. And, you know, I have three kids right now, and I can't imagine that either as a parent to have to go through that. But what I also want you to know, I also hear the words. Well, if if they're leaving, if they're sleeping on the streets during all that, they might die. And I understand this addiction. Like we heard from Cindy's story last a couple of weeks ago, her son did die, right, from an overdose. But he died at her house, and but her other son is thriving because she stopped the enabling. She set those boundaries, and so we just have to remember we can't save them. And some other enabling behaviors I hear people talk about is bailing them out of jail. And time and time again, I get so, we are so proud of our members when they share, for the first time, I didn't rescue them from jail. And sometimes that's the place where our loved ones find their rock bottom. I know several Hope is Alive staff members is that's where they found their rock bottom and realized they needed to surrender. There's one story of a, he's on staff, He's a graduate of our program, and he says he could feel his mother's prayers in the walls of his jail cell. He knew his mom wasn't giving up on him. She may have put some boundaries up, but she didn't stop praying, and he knew that. So bailing them out of jail is um, enabling. Taking on their responsibilities as your own, feeling like you have to go do all this stuff as your own that you forget to take care of yourself. That's where we that sickness becomes ours when we forget about us and trying to fix and make sure everything's okay with them. Avoiding those tough conversations even can is definitely an enabling. Pretending like it's not even happening and ignoring it altogether, you know, that's that walking on eggshells part of it too like oh I I don't want to say anything because I don't want to stir the pot or whatever but that's enabling sometimes you have to have those tough conversations and put those boundaries in place and so that's a sign of enabling what are some other signs of enabling that you you've mentioned quite a few that you have but you've maybe heard um at finding hope and maybe even some success stories where you've heard stories of I used to do this and now they're not doing that anymore
1: I think one thing that I hear over and over again is uh, a loved one who has uh, tripped up or um, gotten kicked out of a sober living place mm-hmm. or or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then mom and dad say, we'll come back home. And they haven't set a clear boundary yet on that. I think that's uh, one thing that we uh, we have to really be cautious about because it's easy when they've tripped up or, or had a bad experience to say, oh, well, will just come back and I'll take care of you again. Well, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. And the, those boundaries have to remain very clear and very uh, consistent.
0: Absolutely. So let's go back to your story a little bit, Karen. You talked about how you got some insurance, you got a new roof, you got a new, some new windows, then you went to Finding Hope and you started learning that your helping wasn't helping, it was actually enabling. So you're learning all these new things at Finding Hope. I'm all about the application. So how did you now apply what you were learning into real world life? Well, I uh,
1: after we uh, learned about enabling and learned about boundaries, uh, we set a clear boundary for our son mm-hmm. and uh, told him that we would no longer pay for Anything, Mm. food, car, home, insurance, anything. How was that? Uh, That was very hard. And he was very mad and Mm. angry. And um, it was really hard to do because it was hard to find him sober enough Mm. to hear what we were going to say. Yeah. Um, But when we set that boundary, we told him we still loved him and we would still be praying for him. And that was pretty much it. I didn't hear from him for six months. and
0: uh, Say that again. So you set those boundaries, you said no, and you didn't hear from him for six months. How was that? That was scary because I,
1: as, as we decided to set the boundary, I had to face the fact that he might die. Mm-hmm. He might be out on the street with no place to live. Uh, he might get harmed in some way when he was trying to Um, get alcohol if he didn't have money Mm -hmm. Um, so those were pretty stressful months but at the same time I wasn't seeing the the drunkenness all Mm -hmm. the time and dealing with the requests for money and such
0: yeah and so how did you I mean it was hard but how did you get through those six months
1: well, clearly, God got us through those mm-hmm. six months and just prayer and um, just our coming to our Finding Hope classes. I mean, we were, you know, we support each other at finding Absolutely. hope. Absolutely. And that's really what helped us get through it. And at all that time, we're learning new tools and how to take care of ourselves and how to cope with the situation and, and that sort of thing.
0: Absolutely. So you know god praying and you're finding hope community because I say it all the time, you don't get it unless you live it and our Finding Hope community gets it. And so we can come and be like, I haven't heard from my son in two weeks. And then some other mom might be, I haven't either. And so you guys can come together. We can lift each other up, pray and encourage, or we might have a story where you can tell them, I haven't heard from him in six months. And I'll tell our listeners what happened when you finally heard from him after those six months. I got a
1: text of a picture of his one month sober chip from AA.
0: That gives me chills every time. So Karen and her husband, Jim, set the boundary. They decided together they were done helping, as they would say, but we would say enabling. They weren't gonna give him any money. They continued to pray, continued to seek God, continued to be plugged into a community of finding hope. And you know, she probably got that text. And I can't imagine when you saw his name pop up, the feelings yeah. you may have been feeling. And seeing that, what, what, what were some of those feelings? All, I mean, I can't imagine. I'm sure it was a mix of emotions and feelings. Well, as soon as I saw his name pop up, I thought he wanted something again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got, I got pretty strong real quick. But right away, I saw the text and he didn't say anything. He just sent me the picture of the one month chip. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of like a big sigh of relief. Mm -hmm. Like, well, maybe he really has finally gotten it. And uh, as far as I know, he has been sober now for six and a half years.
0: That is incredible. And I just love the story of all the enabling you did the boundaries you put in place, and how hard that is, and I know I keep saying that, and get that picture of that chip. You have changed your behaviors. You talked about the tools. You've learned tools at finding hope, and you're able to live a life now with hope and with peace and joy and He's living his own life in sounds like his own recovery and he's able to be successful in that because you're staying out of it. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, you guys both have boundaries. And so I want to end with this Bible verse and it's Galatians 6, 5. For each have to bear his own load. We have to remember it's not ours to carry for our loved ones, that it's their responsibility for their own behaviors and actions and consequences. And so each week, I wanna leave you with a challenge. So we just listened to all of this. So what do we do with it now, right? The first thing I want you to do is first take some deep breaths. This was a lot. And I want you to think about the different enabling behaviors you're doing right now. And I want you to think of what is that one thing you can stop this week? Remember, we don't want to try to run to the top of the staircase. We need to take that first step. What is that one thing that you can stop this week? And then the next week, what's the second thing you can stop and I want you to think about what is your motive behind enabling and why are you doing that? Reach out to someone in Finding Hope. Join one of our Zoom meetings. Let's get con- connected and um, let's talk about it with some, a, a safe person who understands. And when you feel like you're about to go in that enabling or helping mode, I want you to stop and pray, pause, take some deep breaths and think, can they do this on their own if they were sober? If the answer is yes, then you don't need to do anything. And so I want to end now and say thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you, Karen, for being a part of us. You can learn more about Finding Hope at findinghope.today. But before you go, I would love for you to give us a five-star review, share this on social media, and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss our next Hope-Filled episode thanks again for joining me amy larue and our special guest karen myers in this episode of finding hope and remember you are not alone it's not your fault there is hope
1: this episode of the finding hope podcast was brought to you by hope is alive ministries to learn more about hope is alive visit our website at hopeisalive.net If you are in need of immediate assistance, don't wait. Call us now at 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. To find out more about Finding Hope and how you can get involved in a meeting close to you, visit FindingHope.today.